Good morning again, everybody. How, how cool is it to have uh, something to pray in faith for, you know? It's, it's awesome. And I, and I feel very strongly uh, amazing that we get to function like a family. You know, I think if this was all about us being happy and excited all the time, you might kind of sugarcoat stuff. I just love that we can be real with each other and just say, hey, here's what we're facing. Let's face it together and let's pray. Um, I want to I say something. This morning we're starting a new series on uh, Thessalonians, okay? And yes, I recognize that there's a first and a second Thessalonians. We didn't forget it. We're doing both because we're hardcore, okay? So we're going to do both of them uh, through, this, uh, through this spring, kind of into the summer. And I'm excited about doing that. Before we start a new sermon series, I want to acknowledge um, something I think really big that God did recently for us. So we just finished a, a worship series. Um, we called it Created to Worship, and we walked through that. And I, I don't know if I, I can't remember if I told you guys this or not, but we had that planned for October, and we were like so excited to like dive into that. And then what happened is, you know, you guys all started getting COVID, which happens, okay? And you were like not showing up. So it's like, you know what? Let's wait, and let's let's um, put the, the worship series back into January, because if people aren't here physically in the room, it's going to feel kind of like lame and dead, and we're not going to be able to worship like we should. So let's wait and do it in January. Well, obviously the joke was totally on us because you guys really got COVID in January. And, um, and we had way more people in October than we did in January. And it, what was so cool about it though was um, just praying week after week. And we, we were like the staff and, and the elders, we were just like praying for this. And um, man, God did something powerful in that, that, that worship series, like really powerful. So for me, and I don't know what your specific uh, situation was like for it or your experience of it, but for me and for so many of you that I've talked to, God really like met us and worked in us in that, um, that worship series as we were kind of engaging with the Lord and, and kind of even just crying. Like it wasn't like everyone's life was amazing and we're like, God, thank you. Life is so good right now. But just the cries of our hearts, the Lord and the way that we kind of reconnected with something central about who we are as a, as a people and as a church, it was beautiful. So I want to acknowledge that was awesome. God is so good. He did amazing things for those five weeks. Now, as we start the next series, I just want to be really clear. Um, it's not about topping ourselves. It's not about keeping a feeling lingering. It's not about like climbing ever upward in our excitement, you know, and just like, you thought last week was good. Check out this week. And then next week we're back and we're just like, it doesn't work like that. It can. It's exhausting. Like maybe we get another good series, but like at some point, someone's going to preach a bad sermon. It, it won't probably be me, but like, you know, I'm just, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It just... There's, that's so much pressure, right? And it's just not who we are, right? We're not, we're not here to like wow each other every week with like how, we're here to just sit before the Lord and say, okay, God, you did something amazing over the last five weeks, something that I prayed in faith for, but, for, but was still um, surprised when God came through, um, kind of to Mark's point. And, um, and, and like, God, you did something amazing. Would you do something like different now? Would you do something new with this, right? Not not just do what you did again, not, not just do what you did before, but would you do something new and would you meet us as we open your word and we say, Lord, speak to us in this, meet us here, would you do it? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually just stop and pray and let's ask the Lord to just do something new and fresh in us as we look at his word together. Lord, I, I just am so, so thankful that you are a God who cares about what we do in this little room, Lord, 
Thank you that you care. Lord, thank you that, that for every one of us that's here right now, thank you that we can believe in faith on the authority of your word, that you're actually excited that we are here, gathered together with your people. Lord, thank you that you love and care about each of us enough, Lord, that you are glad that we are here and that you promise that you'll work in us. And so, Lord, as we look back and say, God, you did amazing things, would you, as we look in these, these two letters to this church in Thessalonica, Lord, as we look at these, would you meet us here? And Lord, would you plant seeds in our life? And would your spirit work in our hearts in such a way that, that we're not trying to top an experience, we're not trying to get something back, but that we just know, Lord, that you are here and working. That's all I want is for you to work in our lives, out to our community, out to the world around us. Would you please do that in us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we will dive into the book of 1 Thessalonians is where we start. So here, here you go. Thessalonians is a bizarre word. Let's just call it what it is. It's really weird. The church is, a, there's a town called Thessalonica around the Mediterranean Sea. And this church, this church is planted in the town of Thessalonica. So the people that live there are Thessalonians, okay? And so this is Paul writing a letter to the church in Thessalonica, to the Thessalonians. And we're going to look at the two letters together. Now, to get into what's going on here, and, and this will kind of give you a sense of like why I'm so excited to dig into these two letters together with you. Um, I want to look at the, uh, the background to it, okay? So if you, if you want, you can kind of, I'm going to kind of summarize, but in Acts 17, everything I'm going to reference here is in Acts 17, where we see Paul on his second missionary journey. He's traveling with Silas and Timothy. Paul, Silas, and Timothy are traveling around, and they're going to all these churches kind of around the Mediterranean Sea, um, doing this big loop. And they're going to basically like encourage people, but also they go into the synagogues where the, the Jewish people are gathered and they're reading the Old Testament and all that kind of stuff. And they go in there, they read the Old Testament word of God with the people, and then they watch as, as people begin to respond to that. And they tell them about who Jesus is and how he's fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. And out of that, we see these little church communities start to spring up all around um, the, the, the Mediterranean Sea at that point. And so here we're picking up. What's fascinating to me, I love this. Last week, um, Melissa was here and she shared with us out of uh, Acts 16 about Paul and Silas in Philippi and they get put in jail and what they're doing in jail is they, um, they start in the middle of the night just worshiping God and God miraculously acts and sets them free and this jailer and his household are saved and there's this big thing and they leave. So it's immediately after that that we pick up here. So we're, we're doing this right off of last week. They travel to the city of Thessalonica. And they go, and basically what happens is they, they go into the synagogue, and they read from the scriptures from the Old Testament, and they begin to tell people about Jesus, and then they watch people respond. And we see, uh, we're told in, in Acts 17, that, what, that who responds? There's Jews that respond, because they're in their the synagogues. There's Greeks that respond, so non-Jewish people that are there are responding. And it, it specifically mentions like a number of women are responsive to the word of God. And because of that, there's this little church that's born in Thessalonica. And Paul had maybe like it, it, maybe a few weeks, so scholars differ on it, like anywhere from like three weeks to maybe at the most like three months that he spent with this little church. But what happens is people start getting really upset that this little church was born in Thessalonica. So he's it's so simple, reading the word of God in the synagogues, telling them about Jesus and watching people respond. But that act was like hugely offensive to both the Jews and the Greeks. 
So the Jews that were there, like many of them responded, right? But a lot of them were looking around and they're saying, um, okay, we don't, we don't believe in Jesus. He was crucified, killed as a criminal, and we don't want you here talking about these things. And so they began to kind of oppose Paul and Silas and Timothy. Meanwhile, the, the Greeks are there, the, the like Roman citizens are there, and they're upset that they're talking about Jesus, who is the Lord Jesus, right? He's like the king that they're proclaiming, and they're like, that is really offensive to Caesar, who is our true king, who's the one that really like leads us. And so there's Jews and Gentiles coming together to oppose this little tiny church that's been formed in Thessalonica, and what happens is Paul and Silas and Timothy have to race away in the middle of the night, um, and they go along to the next town in Berea, and the this kind of like really young church there to kind of fend for themselves in this hostile environment. So Paul and Silas, they're in um, Berea next, and they do the same thing in the synagogues, reading the word of God, talking about Jesus, watching people respond. We're told the exact same thing. Um, Jews respond, Greeks respond, a whole bunch of women respond to it. And that's what's mentioned. We see that and everything's going great in Berea until Jews from Thessalonica come and they track Paul down and they're like, they're here too. You got to get them out of here. They ran them out of town again and they went on to Athens. And so here, Paul is writing 1 Thessalonians from Athens a little bit away. He's been chased out by how angry this, these people in Thessalonica are. And he's just sitting there worried, what is going on with these people that I love, that I got to connect with back in Thessalonica? What's going on? Finally, Timothy comes back, gives them a good report. Don't worry, they're doing great. There's all this opposition, but they're doing amazing, and they're standing firm. And so Paul then writes this letter to say, thank God that everything is going well for them here. All right, so that's where we come um, as we get here. And, and here's why I want to do First Thessalonians. What's beautiful about it is it's Paul had this experience with this church, right? A few weeks where, man, they're just like opening up the word. They're talking about Jesus. It's clicking for so many of them. And they're getting really passionate and excited. And God did this really grassroots, authentic thing in the city of Thessalonica. It's beautiful. And Paul had to run. I, I just, what I love about it is Paul's checking back in. Young church, right? A few months that he had with them at the most young church, and Paul sowed these simple seeds in this place, right? Just reading the word of God, just telling them about Jesus, these simple seeds, and he's, he's beginning now to express what he's learned about their faith. And I love that. I mean, this is so much of what I pray for for us as a church family. Um, not that we'd be anything grandiose, not that we'd um, have some impressive structure or, or, or name or anything like that, but just that we could be a church where we just sow these seeds of the word of God and that they'd be well-received in the soil of our hearts and that that would grow into something really beautiful in how we interact with each other. And so I want to start by reading just the first verse, all right? Here's Here's, the, um, here's how Paul begins his letter to the Thessalonians. He says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. So, Silvanus, by the way, is like the Latin way of saying Silas. So it's, it's Paul and Silas here and Timothy. And they're sitting here and they're writing to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, grace to you and peace. So he's writing to a, a young church, church that didn't exist even a few months ago. But here it is. God worked. And so there's this little church here. And he's writing to them. And, and, and I think you can see in what Paul's going to say, um, he had this really special time with them where his heart was open to them and he was able to bond with them and everything. And he's coming and he's saying, this is the, the church like in the Father and in the Son, right? The to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how like simple that is, but also how profound, okay? 
So he looks at the church in this area and he's like, you are like the church. The church means like these, these called out people. This like assembly that's gathered together, called from their everyday lives to something. And they're gathered together in God the Father. Okay, so think of this. He's saying this group of people exists because God, who, who like created everything. God who's always existed somehow, right? God who like made this whole world and has like been working with humanity, even though we keep like going against what God calls us to and we keep hurting each other and ourselves. God who's like there in love, calling everyone back to himself. He's saying, you are the church, the gathered ones, the ones called out of your daily life together in God the Father. Like this is their identity. This is who you are. You're a group of people that God is collecting together, right? And they're the church of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. So think of it, Jesus, right, who came, who like God the Father is looking at how much humanity is hurting each other and how much we're rebelling against God and we're just in all of our brokenness and sin and everything. And Jesus is sent into that world, right, to come and to be with us and to teach us what it looks like to actually follow God and actually live in the the love that he offers us. Jesus, who ultimately lays his life down, sacrifices himself so that we, in all of our brokenness, can experience healing and a reconciled, restored relationship to God the Father, right? We can finally have that peace with him so that we no longer have to, like, measure up and accomplish on our own because we were failing miserably at that. Jesus who says, no, you just stand before the Father in love because I have offered the sacrifice for you. Jesus who ensures that we know for a fact that we belong because he has accomplished it all, right? We can belong to this group of people. And so Paul turns to this little church and says, you are the church in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is your identity. That is who you are. I love that he addresses them that way. And I think of it for us because there's this movement that's happened. I don't know. It feels like in my lifetime, but I'm, I'm relatively young, so I don't know what all happened before I got here. But, um, but like there's this movement where churches become sort of like brands, if you know what I'm saying. Churches have different feels, right? And we kind of, it's almost like, so it's like he's writing to not Creekside Church, the brand, okay? Not Creekside Church that does things like with, you know, concrete floors and uh, white painted walls and a minimalist vibe, right? No, not that. Nothing like that, right? He's not writing to a group of people that are like struggling for a market share of the Christians in this community, you know? I feel like often that's how we think of ourselves as churches. Like, okay, well, you know, that church is getting a little bit bigger. How do we get like some of those people to come here and join us here? Like, it's not any of that stuff, right? I think that stuff is, is actually kind of nonsense, right? These are our brothers and sisters that are all around and we work together and we bless each other and we pray for each other. So he's not saying like to this church, he doesn't want us to think about ourselves as a brand. He doesn't want us to think of ourselves as getting like a market market share of people that already believe the same things that we do. Um, he's, he's not looking at us in any of these ways that we tend to see. Like even, even he's not looking at us and thinking, oh yeah, that group of people that casually meets week by week, most weeks, and sings songs or whatever. No, he's saying, like he would look at us if he was going to address us and he would say, you are Creekside Church, you, you are a piece of the church of God in these Rocklandites or Lincolnites and Loomisites and Roosevelts, wherever you guys happen to live, right? The church of God in, this, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It just shows that, man, there's something so much more powerful going on here than some, you know, like church logo and church branding and church like bylaws and just all these things that we do. He's saying, no, here's what matters. We're a church in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a God that controls everything. And we exist as a family because he loves us and because he sent his son to die for us. Like, that's why we exist. 
And if all we exist for is the brand and the market share, that's so dumb and it's not going to work and it's not going to last and it's not going to change our lives or anybody else's. But there's something more powerful in the way that Paul describes the church and it's true. And then he wishes for them. He meets them with this greeting that he often does, grace to you and peace. And so he thinks of this little church that he loves so much, right? He's poured his heart into them, and he's so worried about them, and he writes to them, and he says, okay, if I think of this three-month-old church, what do I want for this group of people that are gathered together? What do I want to bless them with and to send to them? And he chooses, I want, I want grace sent to you, and I want love, right? Grace being like the favor of God, his blessing upon us, his working in the world. That's what he wants to send to this church And peace, peace being like this wholeness and this healing that we experience and this rest that we can have like with each other and before the Lord, that's what he wants for this young little church. And if I think of what I would probably want, if I could say, okay, what's, what do I want for Creekside Church, okay? And I'm going to, I get two things I get to bless you guys with. I'd be like, okay, to Creekside Church, power to you and influence, right? That's what we want, isn't it? We want to have like, like power in the Lord. We want to have influence over each other in the community and all that kind of stuff, right? Or maybe I'd wish um, excitement to you, right? And energy for you, right? Excitement in your times of worship or whatever. I might wish you all um, happiness to you and comfort in all the things that you do. Or maybe there's been times in my life I'd be tempted to say, you know, to the church, uh, in the Lord and whatever, um, doctrinal accuracy to you, incertitude in your beliefs, right? Those are the things I think we would typically want. And Paul just looks at this little community and he says, man, what do I want for this group? Man, I want them to receive the grace of the Lord and to live in the peace of the Lord. That's what he wants. And man, that feels like a great place to be. If we could leave all of it behind and just say, yeah, could we just have, if we could just have that grace and that peace, just think about how those little seeds would flourish in our community. Think of what we'd be like if we could really, truly experience even just the grace and the peace of God. I would love to see it. And so Paul wishes this for this community. And then he turns in verse two and he's going to pray for them or talk about, I guess, his prayers for them. So he says, we give thanks to God always for you all. Uh, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. So here he is, he's addressing them, and he's looking back, and I just love the fondness. We see it here, and we're going to see it throughout First and Second Thessalonians. There's this fondness that he has as he thinks of his time with these people, and he's just saying, man, we just constantly are thanking God for you, and we're mentioning you in our prayers. Like, it's a beautiful thing. I think of this, and I think of um, who, who, like, who's got that, like, ultra-soft place in my heart, okay? And it's, a lot of it comes back to my college years, okay? Those were big years for me. Um, I got to go live in San Luis Obispo, which that in itself is incredible, okay? And um, probably never get to experience that again. It was amazing, but I think of, like, it's the people that, like, God, like, joined my heart with together at that time. So, uh, many of you know John Prey, who's one of our elders, and he works with our youth. Um, I got to, like, live like in a duplex with that guy and his brothers. And we got to deliver mail together on campus, which let me tell you is like the best job I probably ever have, to be honest. Um, Cause we're just, you're, you're like in a, in a big old bread truck with John Prey, who's one of the best humans God's ever created. And, um, and we just got to like goof around and mail packages and we do dumb stuff. Like we'd, we'd walk past, especially like science and engineering, those poor people in those classes that were just stealing their souls. And, um, and you'd see the professors there 
there just waxing eloquent, and all of the people in the classes just looked like they were about to actually die, you know? And, um, and so John and I, being nice guys, decided, let's, like, let's make them laugh. Like, like let's walk, walk behind the professor out the windows, and let's make them laugh as we go. And I doubt anyone even cracked a smile, but man, did we have a blast doing it. Um, and it, it, it like joins you together, right? Or I think of um, my roommate, Adam, who actually is here visiting today. And I would like, we lived together for a while. And it's like, um, you know, I'm be brushing my teeth at night. And, uh, and I, I, you know, done in there, turn off the light in the bathroom, and it's dark in the whole house. And it was like an old, decrepit house where the light switches were never anywhere convenient. And it's like, okay, the lights are all off. He's hiding somewhere to scare the junk out of me, right? And I just don't know. Is it right outside the door? Is it like around the corner? Is he going to descend from his top bunk and scare me that way? Like, I don't know. But it, it's all the stupid stuff, right? But it, it makes it so that... What we did is we, throughout those years, we just invested a whole bunch of time in each other, right? We didn't have an agenda. We didn't have a plan. There was no program we signed up for. It was just we spent time together, and we invested time in each other, and it makes it to where now, like, when I am thinking about these people from college, it's just like, Paul, it's like, man, I'm giving thanks to God constantly for you because there's this bond that forms, and I think, of, I think of us as a church family, and this is so much of what I want for us. And I mean, already, like, my heart can hardly contain the love that I have for all of you guys. Like, I, it's dangerous to talk about, let's go deeper into this. But there is this investment that is required. If we're going to be the kind of people that Paul's like, man, I look back and I just can't stop thinking, like, thanking God for you all, we can have that. Like, that's, that's, like, literally available to us. We could be a family that's exactly like that, especially, especially a church our size. We can have that, Right? But I tell you, I can promise you right now, it will not happen because we figure out good enough worship or good enough sermons. It won't happen because we get all the right programs in place that you can sign up for. The only way that we can experience what I think Paul did with this Thessalonian church is if we look at these beautiful people around us and we say, yeah, I'll invest my life in them. I'll sit, like I will, in, I will clear space in my life. I will take the time to get to know some of these people, to love and serve them. And, and some of it's the intentionality and some of it's just what happens along the way. But man, we could experience that and be a community like this where every time we look around this room, right? Like we're, we're, we're trying to close our eyes and worship, but we're tempted to just open them and be like, oh my gosh, like I love these people so much. I'm constantly thanking God for what he's doing. We could have that. Yes. Amen. We could. We could. And we do and we will. Okay. So uh, Soren Kierkegaard has this um, thing. He says we, we, tend to, um, we tend to be afraid of our relationships with other people, okay? So we, we look at the people around us, and we're afraid of thinking too highly of them often. And I really resonate with this. We're afraid to think too highly of them because what if I invest myself in that person, and then I find out they're not nearly as cool or as kind or as trustworthy as I thought they were, and then my, my love is you know, betrayed and my trust is betrayed, and I get hurt by that person. So we're afraid to think too highly of somebody. But he says, actually, Actually, we should be afraid of the opposite. We should be afraid of thinking too lowly of somebody else, right? Because we look at them and what if, like, what if these people in this room and on the live stream and everywhere else, what if these people actually have the Spirit of God living inside of them? What if these people actually bear the image of God? What if these people are all fascinating and unique and quirky in all these really wonderful ways and we failed to invest the time to find out all those things about them? I had this thought this week. I was thinking, you know, somewhere in this world right now, there's somebody that, like, grew up with Tom Hanks, 
and just like never took the time to like, you know, hang out with him when they did have a chance. And so now they're telling these really lame stories about like, you know, I was actually in third grade with Tom Hanks. We never really hung out, but you know, like how much cooler would it be if that person had like invested the time to get to know Tom Hanks and then it's like, oh, the rest of the world also figured out how amazing he is. I'm just using him because he's like the least controversial person I can think of right now, okay? <laughs> so, um, but you know, I, like, just, if we had that attitude of just saying like, man, every single, like it doesn't matter who, like pick somebody at random, like go out into the lobby, spin yourself around 10 times and then go shake the first hand that you can touch, right? And then invest in that person. You're going to find out some amazing things and you're going to find your faith ignited, right? As you see what God's doing in that person's life, I would love for that to be the case because we just care so much about it. So this is, a, this is a community that I think was nurtured in prayers. Paul's just looking back and he says, I can't even think about these Thessalonian Christians without like giving thanks to God and without constantly just mentioning them in our prayers. I just love the prayer focus in all of that. And then verse three, and this is where we're going to stop for this morning. He talks about how, um, so how is he praying for them? He's praying for them by remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul looks at them, and he describes what's happening. Why is he so thankful for them? What did he see with this group of people that was so amazing? And what he does here, I know many of you are thinking this, he uses, yes, it is the subjective genitive. You're right. It is what he's using there. So um, I, I, know, I know that I should not talk about Greek grammar. I have not been able to stop myself, so I'm going to do it just for a sec. So bear with me, okay? There's three types of genitives, kind of like the, our prepositions here, okay, that he uses. One would describe it if it was an adjectival genitive. I know you guys care about this. It would say your faithful work and your laborious love and your steadfast hope, okay? But he's not using that. He could have used a appositional genitive. I know many of you were thinking that might be the case. No, it's not. Um, which would be saying like your work that is faith, right? Or your labor that is love, right? Or your steadfastness that is hope. He's not doing that either. What he's doing, he's using the subjective genitive. Okay, grammar's done. I'm going to explain what it gets at. And what it's saying is that the work is the product of the faith, okay? And you can kind of get that from the English here, but I, anyways, it doesn't matter. The work, like, it's like the work that flows out of faith, right? And it's like the labor that comes out of love. And it's a steadfastness that's like produced by the hope, okay? So what I think is so important about this is he's not sitting here saying, man, I love you guys because you are hard workers. And man, do you labor for, and man, are you guys steadfast? Like, that's not actually what he's saying. What he's saying is, I love you guys, and I pray for you constantly because I've seen the faith, hope, and love that's in your life. And I've seen those three things, those little seeds that were dropped in, I see them producing this fruit of work and of labor and of steadfastness. Like, that's what comes from the thing. The seeds themselves are the faith, hope, and love. And Paul, we know, mentions this elsewhere, right? Like 1 Corinthians 13, that like, what are the three things that remain? It's faith, hope, and love. These are so important to Paul. He mentions them several places but he's saying, okay, these are the, the simple seeds. And man, what if we were a church that could invest in simple seeds like this? So faith, just take faith. Could we believe what Jesus says about himself? Like, do, we, do we actually care what Jesus says about himself? And if so, do we believe about that? Do we believe that that's like what that faith looks like? Do we, do we care what Jesus says about us, right? And if so, if we care what he says about us, do we believe it, right? Or are we constantly trying to prove that we're something better or trying to make things work for ourselves? Can we trust that we're loved and adopted as his children and all these beautiful things that he says about us? 
Do we care about the things that God says about the people that are around us? Do we really believe that those things are true? So faith looks like grasping these things that we know and letting it sink down into our hearts like a little seed that's planted and then it produces this work, right? The faith that they had, the things they believed poured out into their life in these beautiful ways that Paul's just saying, man, I can't stop thanking God for what you did there. Um, the hope that he's talking about, right? So what do we think of when we think of what's next, right? Or what really matters in this life? That's where our hope is set. And so as we look at those things, what really matters and where are we headed? Do we actually believe it or do we actually lean into that? Does that is that a seed that can go deep down into our hearts and produce like, man, I am so set on the reality that, man, the only things that matter are what God is calling me to and, and, and how he sees me and, and how I get to belong to him and live with him forever. Like, if that was all that matters, then we wouldn't, don't have to be hedging our bets and saying, yeah, I, I do want to experience that with God, but I also have to make sure that I wring every bit of happiness out of this life that I possibly can, right? I've got to cut every kind of corner I can to make sure I've got all the money that I need, all of the setup I need, all the security. But, man, if that hope could sink down, right, we begin to believe, okay, it's all about God, and he sees me as his child. He loves me, right? It's about the way that he enables us to have these beautiful relationships with each other, to love each other as according to the kingdom of God, all those kinds of things. And then love, right? Do, do we really believe, does, do we let love go down to our hearts as a seed that can be planted, right? Do we believe Jesus when he says that love is both the first and second greatest commandment that there is, right? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's the first and greatest commandment. And to love our neighbor as ourself is the second that's like the first one, right? So love is both the first and second most important thing, and Jesus said it. So do we let that love soak down into our hearts, or do we limit that by the amount of effort we're willing to put into the people that are around us? Or, or, or highlighting our personal preferences above the people that are around us. Like, do we let love sink down and just say, okay, God, plant that seed in me and grow it into whatever you want it to look like. My love for you, Lord, first and foremost, and my love for the people that are around us. This is so important. And so all these things, right? The, the, the work, the, the faith allowed them to do this like beautiful work in blessing the people around them. The hope allowed them to experience this steadfastness, right? So when things got hard in life, they weren't like freaked out by it and they didn't give up because of it or turn back on it. No, their hope just kept them moving and kept them going. They didn't have to complain about everything happening in their society. And the love basically just leads them to like this significant labor, right? It's, it's easy enough to like love somebody while we're sitting in a, a padded church chair, right? Easy to love somebody in theory, in general. Um, it's much harder to step out into the world in love, but love leads us to work. Love leads us to do, love, love makes us do crazy things, honestly. Like, like when I was in high school, love uh, led me to like face my dad's wrath at the long distance phone bill that it would cost to like call my girlfriend in the next city over, you know? Like we, I love led me when I was in college to drive like my sister broke down like 80 miles away and, um, and I get a call from her and she's like, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I'll be right there. And I drove 80 miles. Like, I don't know, AAA existed at the time, but I wasn't aware of it. We just do, we just do whatever we have to do when we love somebody enough, right? We just get out there and we just do it, right? And Paul's just saying, man, that love went down like a seed. 
And so, for us, this is what I want to leave us with. I, what I love so much about 1 Thessalonians is it is a very simple book. And it's a book that's written with so much like pastoral affection from Paul and Silas and Timothy to this little church that's just newly planted. And all there was, all, like in that three weeks or three months, all there was was time for some conversations to happen and some very simple seeds to be sown. And he's going to reference throughout the whole book, man, how the word of God came to them and they accepted it as the word of God. Like they responded so deeply and truly to it. And you see things like these little seeds of faith, hope, and love that sprout up and form. And man, that is so much what I want for us. Okay, we, we tried to re-engage with the simple things when we did our worship series. Okay, and we're saying, hey, we spend a lot of time doing this every week, right? Like we come in here and we sing for a significant amount of our time together. So let's like go back to like why does this matter and why is it important and what does it look like for us to engage ourselves in it? I want to do the same thing in this series and look at not just the word of God as like, let's pull all the um, theology out of it so that we can believe the right things, but let's also open ourselves up to the word of God. And we spend a significant amount of time here on Sundays opening the word of God and letting it speak to us, right? Um, Many of us do that on our own at home, like reading the word of God, letting it speak to us. And what I want this series to do for us is to open up our hearts and not just our minds so the word of God can go down, plant in the soil of our hearts and be these little seeds, these little nuggets that just go and grow. And as we invest in each other and as we reach out to our community, just see what these simple seeds will produce. I, I, I really think that what God wants for us is as simple as that. And I'm excited to explore it with you guys together. So we're going to sing. Let me, let me pray for us, and we'll just invite the Lord together um, to do those things in us during this series. So Lord, as we um, have heard your word, I'm just so thankful that you were so good. You were so gracious. You're so patient. You're so kind. And Lord, we, we struggle um, in this season. I, I, I just, I know, Lord, uh, last couple of years especially, there's just so many different struggles that are unpredictable and weird and um, I, I feel like I know less about what I want life to look like or how things should be um, than I ever have. And I'm thankful that in the midst of that, that you are our God, that you love us, that you are here for us. Lord, thank you that we can know and believe that regardless of what we do or experience, Lord, you're here with us. And I pray for us as we continue to worship as a church, Lord, may we just open ourselves to you. May we be free before you. Uh, may we um, take this time and, and whatever distractions are in our hearts, um, I pray that we just be able to focus on you and see you clearly. And Lord, for some of that, that will mean singing at the top of our lungs and, and pouring out our hearts before you. Um, and I know that will be beautiful to you. For others of us, Lord, it's, it's, maybe this is a time of introduction, of, of kind of getting to know you and, and maybe just even allowing ourselves to ask that question in our hearts of, of Lord, are you there? And, and how do you see me? And, and, and what should I do? And for others of us, we've come this morning with our hearts just absolutely in pieces, Lord. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that are in that position to just be able to lift up those fragments of heart that they have left and ask you to speak and heal and comfort and work. Lord, whatever it is, I just pray that we would be open to hearing from you and engaging with you. Lord, would you speak and work as we sing to you?